edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 4th, 2014. This is episode 1459 of the Survival Podcast. And today we're going to talk about what? The case for putting down roots. I do not mean roots from a plant. I mean roots in your life to actually find that place that you're going to stay. Why is that a survival topic? Well, it's really more of a thriving topic. It's about lifestyle design. And deciding when the time is to find that place you're going to stick with it and build community and things around you there, the place you would bug into long before you'd want to bug out of. The generations known as the boomers, to a degree, but more what you call the tweeners than the Xers, are become a very mobile society. Not just technologically mobile, but geographically mobile moving every few years to get a better house, to move up uh, in life, so to speak, into a better neighborhood, moving to take better jobs, etc. There's good reasons for that, and there's also some advantages to, well, not doing it anymore. And there's a certain time in your life where you have to make that determination. And uh, today we're going to talk about when you make that choice, when you say, hey, look, this is where I really want to be, uh, what you do if that ends up being a mistake, And uh, how you uh, how you design your life to have as much resiliency and redundancy in it as possible. I figured this was an interesting topic. There's some topical reasons for it uh, that I'll talk about when I get into the main topic today. And it's just also a little bit more of a light topic. We've been into some real heavy stuff lately. And I will keep challenging you with heavy topics that challenge your core beliefs. Even if you don't change your mind, I want it to cause you to have what's known as critical thinking skills, but you also need to back off of that once in a while and examine things at a higher level. I think that's what today's show about. It'll be fun for you. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is for you here five days a week, Monday through Friday, uh, most weeks out of the year. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Hey, BulkAmmo.com is an amazing company. Uh, it's where I get my ammo. It's where I think you should get your ammo, too, when you're buying in bulk. It's bulk ammo. Why wouldn't you buy your bulk ammo from BulkAmmo.com? Just makes sense. Seriously, though, really great shipping, lightning fast shipping, uh, amazing selection of, uh, of rounds. They have stuff when nobody else does. Sometimes you pay a little more for it when it's in short supply, but at least you can get it there. And when things are abundant, you get some of the best pricing available on the Internet, but always with lightning fast shipping. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, Ready-Made Resources, the company that does what it says and, and says what it does. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go. On their website, point, click, and buy. Lightning fast shipping, great service, great pricing, great selection. Ready-Made Resources has it all. Everything you need from the tactical to the practical, from 12-volt appliances to work with your solar and wind projects, the stuff to build solar and wind projects, Long-term storage food, stuff for your garden, stuff for your guns, guns themselves, you name it, the tactical to the practical, they've got it at readymaderesources.com. Next up, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you join the Members Brigade, also known as the MSB, you help support this show at about two dimes an episode. That's what it comes out to. At the end of the show, if you think, hey, that's worth 20 cents, consider joining. That's what you'll be uh, chipping in to help support the show. But you'll get great discounts to companies like Ready Made Resources, Bulk Ammo, and over 40 other companies. 
buying the stuff you're probably buying anyway, so that membership will pay for itself. Imagine if the discounts from AAA were actually discounts. That's what the MSB's like. Oh, and if AAA was about tactical and practical and guns and gardens, that's what the MSB is like. In addition to supporting the show, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters All of you qualify for a discount, whether active duty or prior service. Just email me with service discount in the subject line. Send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And in the body of the email in one or two sentences, tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are, who you are and what you did if you're prior service. Remember, prior service does not mean you are retired. It simply means that you served in one of these positions at one time. I'll give you a discount forever on that service to thank you for your service, either at home and or abroad. And with that, let us take a look at the year that was the episode. So in the year 15, 1459, I'm sorry, we have the Age of Discovery, the Fra Murrow map, which is really cool, and you should go read it because I'm going to read a different one today. Dracula, Impaling of the Ottomans, and I'm going to read that one because I think I like the word Dracula. It just sounds cool because it's like, you know, vampires and all that. No, I just, I've always really been fascinated uh, with the uh, the entire story around Dracula, the real Dracula, not the one that they made into uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. The War of the Roses, Driving Queen Margaret, which is also cool, and you can read that at the TSP Wiki for the year 1459. But I'm going to read to you again, Dracula, Impaling the Ottomans. Too bad this one didn't come just a few days earlier. We would have had it in time for Halloween. The Ottoman Sultan, Mohammed the Conqueror, has held Vlad III, Dracula, hostage for several years to guarantee payment of tribute from his father, Vlad II. But when the father was killed, the Ottomans released the younger Dracula so he could inherit his lands rather than letting them pass to the Hungarians. This becomes an obvious mistake when the Sultan sends an envoy to Vlad III to collect the backlog of tribute, and the envoy members are returned with their turbans nailed to their heads, presumably because they refused to remove their turbans in the presence of Vlad, so Vlad made sure they never would. The Sultan then sends a much larger force, almost all of which ends up impaled to the trees. Thus, Vlad Dracula gets his name, Vlad the Impaler, He also begins building what is known as Castle Dracula this year, using slave labor made up of people who killed his father and brother. As opposed to slavery as I am, uh, I guess if you are going to have slaves, the people that killed your father and brother are as good a group to pull from as anybody. My take by Alex shrugged on that. Apparently, Vlad the Impaler resented his years as a hostage to the Ottomans, though he did learn a lot from them concerning warfare. He also became fluent in Turkish, which allowed him to infiltrate Ottoman camps. The name Dracula means son of the dragon, which refers to the order of the dragon, a knighthood created by the king of Hungary to oppose the Ottoman Turks. The land of Transylvania is now part of modern-day Romania, and Vlad the Impaler remains a hero there, despite his reputation for cruelty. Um, there's a lesson in that, too. There's a saying that you hear a lot of times in you know movies about terrorists and stuff, where the terrorists will say things like, the victor writes the history. There is some, there is some truth to that. And uh, I guarantee you, if Vlad the Impaler had failed uh, as the leader of Transylvania, uh, you might have a different opinion of him even locally. Uh, than they do there now. Anyway, with that, let us get into the main topic of today's show, which is a happier subject than people being impaled on trees. Anyway, so 
I there's I said there's something topical going on in my home right now as far as this subject, and we're talking about like the case for putting down roots. And I'm not actually saying that not putting down roots is wrong. I'm making the case for at some point saying, hey, look, this is where I want to be. Right now, Dorothy and I have uh, a couple uh, living with us, sort of, kind of. They have an RV they have parked out in front of my garage. Great big giant one. I'm surprised it fit through the gate, but the the woman is an amazing driver and threads needles like that with vehicles. So they have it sitting out there, and they're traveling all over the country trying to figure out, well, where do we want to live? And, you know, they're really taking a serious look at different places so that when they find a place and they say this is where we want to be, that it really is where they want to be. So that had me thinking that way. The other thing is, as I develop my homestead, and I, I'm putting real effort into it, it's because I know we're not ever leaving this place. I'm not saying we might not ever have another place that we do some seasonal living in or something like that, but this is this is going to be a home that hopefully I own for the rest of my life. Some, something major will have to change to change that. And you take things differently when you get there. So those two things kind of have me thinking about this subject. And then yesterday, without really planning to, I discussed how the middle class erosion is both the fault of those in charge and the middle class ourselves. And that we've lost sight of the real values of the generations that came before us and how my grandfather had a 20-year mortgage on a house that he bought for $1,350. By the way, he purchased that house from my grandmother's father, which would have been his father-in-law, who owned that house and a house above them and a house that he was renting to somebody up at the top of the hill, and he was a middle-class coal miner in the early 1900s from the Ukraine. And he had those three homes that he eventually sold to members of the family and uh, moved further north uh, by, oh, about five miles to move in with another family member as he got older. And I actually did meet him. Uh, I met him when I was pretty young, but I met my great-grandfather. I remember he couldn't talk uh, because he had had throat cancer and they had traked him. Um, but he was... Uh, really happy and playing and bouncing balloons around with a bunch of kids, and I think he was about 100 years old at the time. Uh, so it's it's interesting that even at that point, he was only living about five miles from where he raised his family. And that kind of thinking is something we've lost sight of, I think, to a large degree. And there's some reasons for that. And, you know, I want to, you know, before I sound like I'm advocating something and saying this is what you should do, I want to make sure you understand that I haven't lived that way. Uh, things are different today, and I'll talk about why. But just so you can understand where I'm coming from with this, since I got out of the Army in 1993, I lived in four apartments and five houses. So I haven't really ever put down roots since I left home. And I've built roots with my family, but not with my geography. We moved whenever it made sense, whenever it would further our career opportunities, whenever we could just do better, we moved. And there's a case for that, too. And that's what I want to start out with. Why did it happen? Why did the baby boomers to a degree, but really the tweeners, the tweener generation is that generation that's not quite in the baby boomer generation, you know, but not quite in the Gen X level. It's that, that in-between stage, what they call them the tweeners. And even a little bit of the Y generation that are coming up now that are in their 20s, 
why they got so mobile in the first place. Why did they leave home? Why, I mean, if their parents and their grandparents, and in some cases their great-grandparents, stayed put and lived in areas, you know, a 10-mile radius of each other their whole lives, why did the young people leave? And the answer is, for a variety of reasons, but the biggest one, honestly, is opportunity. The small-town opportunities all over this country dried up. The ability to like go to school, work hard, get good grades, and get a good job in a lot of places went away. So people migrated to the cities for jobs and opportunities. And if you go somewhere else for a job and an opportunity, you have to leave where you were. It's that simple. And then this whole innovative series of decades came about where people started learning skills and realized like to move up, I need to learn more and more skills. Now, they left behind a lot of hard skills. I'm talking about soft skills, management, programming, graphic design, engineering skills, things like that. And as they as they built up that book of skills, they would find that they would reach a pinnacle in the company they were in, that they had been typecast or they had simply not gotten the education necessary for some kind of internal bureaucracy that didn't exist somewhere else. So when you have a person that's worked really hard and busted their ass, and it's like the years around 1995-ish, and they're making $50,000 a year, which wasn't terrible money for 1995, not terrible money today, but you can do better, and that person realizes that all I have to do is move somewhere else and take a new job. And I can make $75,000 a year. I can get a 50% raise by making a strategic move. And I can get new experience, which may give me an opportunity for another strategic move a few years down the road. People tend to do it. And that's the environment we ended up in. If you wanted to get to a place where you could make enough money to really have what you wanted... In many instances, in many professions, and for many people coming up from various rural communities and small town communities and even small city communities, the necessity to find those opportunities based on their background caused this really, for the first time ever, a mobile phenomenon like nothing we've ever seen before. I mean, we think of the pioneer days and people came from Europe and people went from the eastern United States to the western United States. But even in that time period, most people went to a place, found a place, started building a life. This bouncing around is something that entertainers and rich people and vagabonds did in the past. Um, and, and today it's become something that the yuppie community, the young urban professional community does, and the blue-collar worker, and the the serious you know, engineering employee does. You go where the opportunity is. And it's not all bad. Uh, I see the case for putting down roots. And if you can find exactly what you want and buy your first house at like 24, and that's the house you're going to live in for the rest of your life the way your grandparents did, the advantages of that are huge. Just finding it at 24 versus 44, at 44, you're two-thirds through a 30-year mortgage instead of starting one, just to put it out there in a pure financial situation. But it's not always possible. And a lot of times, the greatest freedom in our lives comes from either being able to go to being truly self-employed, truly owning a business, or being able to outsource our talents and skills to a point where we have geographic freedom. And a lot of times, you can't gain that 
without enough relevant experience. And sometimes it takes 5, 10, 15, or 20 years of this mobile lifestyle to gain it. And it's just the society that we live in today. And it always is something that if you, if you play it right, works out. But sometimes you get in that cycle for too long. You can't break it. There's a reason that sometimes this cycle of movement continues for decades on end. People are 50 and they still haven't found a place they really want to be for the rest of their life. And it's because it works. And what works becomes addictive. When you start realizing, hey, look, if I shop out my talent every five years, I can upgrade my life every five years. And if I shop out my talent and it means moving to the next town or the next state or across the country, so be it. So be it. Kids, they'll adapt, they'll make new friends, and they do. They really do. And some some cases, it's good for them. They become more diversified in, in cultural understandings and just the, the the willingness to take a risk if they if they move often. They don't feel typecast. They feel like they can adapt. Uh, so it's not all bad. But that that very fact that it works is why we keep doing it. Now the the other side of it though is every time we move, we buy a new house, we start the mortgage clock over again. And to drive a point home about while the other side of it can be the knife that cuts the other way, let me tell you what mortgage means, for those that have never heard me talk about this before. I learned this from an accounting teacher in 11th grade, by the way. Mort. What does that sound like? Mortal. Mortality. Mort is the root. Death. To be mortal means that you will die someday. A mortal wound is, a, is an injury that kills you. Okay? Mortal, mort, death. Gage comes from an old English word meaning to grip. To mortgage is to be under the, the grip of death, to be under death's grip. That's what the word means. Think about that. Because 30 years of your life or more tied to a debt. Now, I don't hate mortgage debt. I, again, I think that the, the debt that makes the most sense of any debt in the world is a mortgage. Real property debt. Property tends to appreciate in value. Money tends to depreciate in value. We call it, inf we call it uh, inflation, but it means its value depreciates. Isn't that odd? Inflation means a depreciation in the value of money. Depreciation means an inflation in the value of money. No wonder everybody's confused about economics, but we're not going to go there today, right? Basically, money becomes worth less over time and property becomes more. So the debt itself has some self-canceling attributes. But those become more and more powerful the longer one stays in a single property. If we keep hitting the reset button, for instance, when I bought my latest home, I guess it was 42-ish, 41, whatever. I don't know how old I am. I'm in my 40s. But if you're 40... Five, let's say, you buy a brand new house. 45 we think of as pretty young today. But 55, 65, 75, you're 75 before you're out of death's grip. You might have already found death's true grip by 75. But if you buy a house at 25, 35, 45, 55, you're done. And 55, most people still have significant income in their lives. Some people are making the most money they ever make at 55. Some people kind of peak and ebb 
through their 40s into their 50s and end up actually making less money or less money based on the value of money, so to speak, as well. But the income is significant, usually still at 55, if you're successful with whatever you do for a living. And if you're at a peak of income, carrying a mortgage that you could have afforded 20 years earlier, so you you buy at, uh, let's say, 35, and you're at 55 now. Uh, you got a 20-year-old mortgage, a 20-year-old price on property, and you have a mortgage that you had the ability to cover at 35, and now you're 55. Usually you're way ahead of the game at that point. And the earlier in our lives that we anchor down and do that, the financial aspects work out the best for us. So that alone is a compelling reason to break the cycle. As I said yesterday, my father-in-law today lives in a house that he has a mortgage on. His total payment's under $300. That's taxes, insurance, and everything. I'm not saying it's going to work out that way for you even with adjusted dollars, but I am saying this is an example of when you find a place to stay put. And the earlier we can do that, the more that works for us and the less it works against us. But you can't beat yourself up or say, oh, my God, i got to do it. And if you're 20 years old, don't make this like, oh, i got to have a house by the time I'm 24 because Jack said so. Because if I have 24, like 34, 44, 54 years old, I'll have my house paid for. Wow, that's great. Um, you can't think that way because what did I start out with? The mobile concept works. So it's about finding a balance. But when you find the right place, don't be afraid to put down the roots. When it comes to finding the right place to put down roots, there are six main considerations that I think really apply to most people. And the first and foremost is family considerations. And you'd say, well, if you're mobile, then you've already given up that consideration. And, and no, you really haven't, and I'll tell you why. A person that leaves home and goes to another place to establish a career that when they make that initial move, they know it's temporary. They know they're in this mobile society. And they know that sooner or later they're going to go somewhere else. And in the back of their head they're thinking, well, maybe I'll come back here or I'll be closer. Or well, I'll get an opportunity that maybe I don't come back here, but let's say maybe you're like me and you were from a small town called Pottsville, Pennsylvania, and you had to go to a place like, oh, I don't know, Dayton, Ohio. Right to get your first opportunity. Well, maybe I'll be able to move back to somewhere like Philadelphia or Harrisburg. See, that's what's in the mind if you are if you are tied to family in any way. And as you grow and develop relationships, families tend to expand. So when you get married, all of a sudden it's not about your family, it's about your family and their family. And in many instances, one side of that relationship has very loose familial relationship such as I do, and the other side has a very tight familial relationship, such as Dorothy's side of the family. So then one person can actually become somewhat glued into the, the family considerations of the other spouse. And that's, that's okay. That's part of a marriage. That's why it's a union, not just a simple contract, right? So the things that are important to your spouse should be important to you. And they're not a burden. They're part of why you're there to make that other person happy and because that person brings something to your life. So a lot of times one side has the family considerations, the other is not so much. That can create some conflicts. But in the end, finding a place to stay permanently 
And seeing it that way, often the family consideration is bigger because you're not thinking, oh, one day we'll come back. So that's something that's really, really key. And for us, when we moved to Arkansas, which was only five hours away, it was too far. It just didn't work. This probably geographically isn't the place I would have ended up permanently if there wasn't a familial consideration for my wife. But I'm happy to be here. Okay. The next one is the cost considerations. There's places in the world that are ever loving beautiful. That, I mean, especially if you want to think of it, life is like growing things, permaculture, homesteading, stuff like that, that are just gorgeous, but you can't afford to live there. So, in each of us is a certain capacity for income, and we, we seldom actually meet that capacity. And what I mean by that is most of us could make more money if we really wanted to. And I know right now people are going, oh, Jack, I work for every dime I get, and if I could make more, I would. You have no idea how it is to struggle. I struggled at one time, too. No, this is what I mean, that almost everybody out there, if you were willing to say, screw it, and do everything and anything you can for the most amount of income you can get your hands on, you could find a way to make more money than you do right now. Whether it's, I don't know, learning welding, underwater welding and, and working off ships and welding uh, oil pipelines together under the ocean. The, you know, whatever. The, but see, oh, I don't want to do that. That's my point. That's my point. There's almost always a point where... People that don't kill themselves early with heart attacks anyway say, that's it. This is how much I'm willing to do. The point where they say, I don't want another promotion. I don't want to go to somewhere else. And that puts us into some level of a capped income. And that income only buys so much. So when we're deciding where we're going to live, and we say things like, well, we want a four-bedroom house, you might be able to afford to live in geography zone A, let's say, but you could only afford a two-bedroom house there. or And, and that two-bedroom house might put you at, at the edge of being what you call house poor. And geography B, you might be able to go get the four-bedroom house and have headroom. So that cost consideration won't, and total cost of living, taxes, etc., all plays into it. Another thing is what you would call a lifestyle consideration. So some people really want to live in a place where you can be walking distance from a community, where you can go downtown and go to coffee shops, listen to jazz music, hipsters doing poetry, whatever it does it for you. And some people don't want anything to do with that. Some people want an environment where you can walk down the block and there's a house and another house and another house, suburban lifestyle. They want their kids to grow up surrounded by other kids. And that's fine for those people. Some people want to be in a community that's deeply religious. They want lots of churches around and church activities and church groups. Some people don't want to be bothered with religion at all, and that's okay. All of these things are lifestyle considerations. You know, some people want to be in a place where you can go to a farmer's market. Some people could care less whether, even if they, live, they like local food, they don't really care about a farmer's market. They just want to make sure the food's available. This is a lifestyle consideration. Some people need to have Internet access. This is also a lifestyle consideration. There's a big one for us. There were some houses that offered better land. I don't know if the houses were better. This house is pretty awesome for what we needed as far as our size and the outbuildings and everything. But they were real contenders. But they did not have good Internet access. So part of my lifestyle consideration is that I run a podcast. 
and I upload audio files every day and video files, and everything that I do in my business is online. So good Internet access was a lifestyle consideration we had to meet, no matter what. That, that was a have to. It was like, this doesn't work any other way. I don't want an office in town I have to drive to again or anything like that. I need this so that my lifestyle of working from home and as soon as I'm done for the day, I can get out on my homestead and start working with my animals or my plants or my designs or whatever it is, I had to have that. It was part of my lifestyle consideration. Uh, our, you know, family and lifestyle started to overlap. So the fact that we could be involved with the family was a lifestyle consideration we had to take into account. Uh, the, the fact that the house we lived in had to be something that I could have a lot of the, the family over and we could all relax and enjoy a football game together, right? And you might not care about football. My son and I love football. So uh, a living room that made that an enjoyable experience was important to us. And some people say, well, that's really not why you buy a house. Well, it is. If you actually take your whole lifestyle that you're trying to design into consideration, it's one of the things you look at. I didn't want to live in an HOA. That's a lifestyle consideration. I, my lifestyle has to be free. If, if I'm working on a project and it lays out in the front yard halfway done for two months before I get around to completing it, I don't want some blue-haired old lady making a report and bitching and having any credibility with it with anybody whatsoever. I don't care. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I think if you live in an HOA by your own free choice, there's something wrong with your head. I really do. I think it's what's called a, a, a need for government. But if that's what you want, then fine. Go there so that you're not here. I think that we would all be so much better off if people really took all these things into consideration before they bought a home they really wanted to stay in. Because the person that's not staying, other than property value things, doesn't really give a shit. Which is one of the reasons it actually makes sense to, to sit down and stay. Right? Because then you start to care. But the, the people that always want to control other people's lives should go where people like them want to be. And the people that want to let everybody do whatever the hell they want should go where people like those people already are. It's amazing. I guess maybe part of it is that, you know, I, I did my teenage years of growing up in Pottsville and Minersville, Pennsylvania, with grandparents that had lived there for 100 years, right? No, they hadn't lived there 100 years, but the family had been there more than 100 years. And the fact that anybody would bitch about like a junk car in anybody's yard was, was, would have been considered sacrilegious. Like, this guy's lived here for seven years. Don't bitch at him about a Nova sitting in his yard. He'll work on it when he gets on it. It's his car. It's his land. Shut up. I mean, that, if anybody moved there and made that complaint back in the 70s, the 80s, that would have been a response. The whole community would have been like, I don't care if I like that or not. It's none of your freaking business. Mind your own business. Right, So that's a lifestyle consideration. If you want that, don't go where people aren't that way. Don't go, don't go looking for a fight when you choose your place to live. Or you'll find that maybe it's not a place you want to live forever. There's also community considerations. Now, the community considerations do overlap the lifestyle considerations, but they're more about the organizational structure of the interaction of the community. So these would be things like, as you get older, having sort of a, a community center where maybe there's activities for older people. That might be something very important to you. Uh, arts festivals. Uh, we have like uh, the, the Fort Worth Arts Festival every spring. That's a cool thing that we're glad is here. Uh, so, 
you also look at things like, again, HOAs would fall into this, and I'm not saying they can't be run well. I just don't want to be part of one. But there are some that are set up and designed to create a very rich community environment, and if that's what you want, then that should be there. Uh, and the next is climate considerations. And, and this takes on a whole litany of things. I don't want to live in Minnesota, okay? I don't. You know why? It's freaking too cold there. It's too freaking cold. I'm not saying you should leave. I'm saying for me, it's too cold. I absolutely do not want to live in a place that's that cold. I don't want to live in Alaska. You know why? I don't want to have to put tape on my windows in July so I can go to freaking sleep before midnight. And it's too cold there. I don't. If, if you can't figure this out, I don't like the cold. I don't even like the cold here. Honestly, uh, <laughs> I don't. Sometimes I think I'd actually like a little bit colder of a climate. But the cold here I don't like because it's wet cold. The way I describe the cold here, when the cold sets in here, you go outside and you work for a while. You don't feel that cold because you're working. But then you start like doing something a little bit less strenuous and the cold sticks to your body. And you, and you finally like, okay, I'm going inside, I'm cold. You go inside and you take off your jacket or whatever And ten minutes later, it's like the cold is still clinging to you. I, I, I much prefer a dry cold than that wet cold. We get, like it's pouring rain outside right now because we're having an event. So, you know, it made it rain when I, when I set up an event. But when this, this winter comes in, it rains all the time. It's cold, it's wet, it's snow, it's ice, it's rain. I, I would actually prefer climate-wise a more temperate Uh, less ebb and flow climate than this. But we all have to live in our limitations again because there's considerations on cost, family, lifestyle, community as well. But all these things have to be taken into consideration. Climate's important. You know, if you hate the cold, don't move to a very northern, very cold climate. If you hate the heat, don't move to South Florida. I'm just saying. So the climate considerations is also what are you going to be doing with all these lifestyle choices, right? So if you're going to be a homesteader, it's it's a lot harder to make a living in a desert than in a place with 44 inches of rain. So the climate considerations also have to do with your overall lifestyle. If you are a person that really loves the outdoors, you might actually deal with the cold better than the heat. There's always ways to get warmer, in spite of my lack of desire to live in the cold. There's always ways to be warmer. Once you're hot, there's only so many ways to stay cool. Pretty much, if you can't get in water, you, you run out of options. So, all of that takes into consideration the climate as well. And then, there's what I call the reality considerations. Just a flat reality. When it's all said and done with, there's certain places you're just not going to be able to live. Even if you think it'd be great to live there. You know? Or the reality of solitude in some instances. So I can go look at places in the Rocky Mountains that are in the middle of nowhere, and there's not a neighbor around for miles. It's quiet, it's peaceful. And I could sit there and go, I could see myself living here. And I can see myself living there for a few months. Quiet reflection, yeah. I can't see myself living like that for the rest of my life. I like people. I hate people, and I like people. I like smart people. I hate stupid people. I like people that like to help each other out. I hate people that are out for themselves. You see what I mean? I like people in small groups. I hate giant crowds. But I like people. Some people hate people. 
Some people like people at a distance. They don't like them close up. They don't mind seeing people once in a while, but they like to see a person, you know, once a week is enough. And I don't mean a single person, like uh, Tom's okay, but I can only tolerate him about once a week. No, I mean like they want to see other people once a week. That's it. And the rest of the time they just want to be alone. Some people, that is a miserable existence. There are people who can go months without ever seeing another human being and they're happy. Or just one or two other people in their family and they're happy. I'm not that person. But I'm also not the person who wants to be constantly surrounded by people. I don't like it. I, I don't like too many conversations going at the same time. You know, um, If you get above about 30 or 40 people in an area, I really don't want to be there anymore. And that's a reality consideration. Because I'm not going to go out in the middle of nowhere and I'm not going to live in a high-density situation. Even if you created the perfect permaculture high-density situation, you know, a place with uh, a high-rise building with vertical farming and uh, a big courtyard and, and mass transit. And plenty of you guys would say, you know, other than concerns about what if something goes wrong, this is kind of a cool place to live. I couldn't live like that. But I also couldn't live out in the sticks. That's a reality consideration. The, the cost considerations always run up against the reality consideration. We could afford this, but we really shouldn't. Okay? The, f the family considerations always run up against the final reality consideration. Yeah, we could live 20 miles away from mom and dad, and, and that would be great. But the reality is, for the opportunities that we're looking for, we have to live a little further away than that. You know, the reality consideration is always there. And again, way out in the sticks doesn't always work. And it's why it doesn't work is, is that reality consideration backs up against it. I have to tell you that I've met a lot of people in, in, in my walk with TSP since I started talking to people that are serious homesteaders and farmers, etc., that have made the move and moved back, including us. And I don't think we were too far out in the sticks. That wasn't our problem. It was a family distance issue. But I've, I've talked to a lot of people and say, you know, we found this off-grid homestead on the south side of the mountain, and it was beautiful, and we loved it there, but in the end, we were we were lonely. And every time we needed something, we had to drive forever and a day just to get to town to get it, and we just decided that we wanted more people around us. And I know other people that see people once a week and we could do with it being less. But for most people, I think human beings are social creatures, And way out of the sticks doesn't really work well. In the end, though, when you do find the place you want to settle down at, the place you want to be for the rest of your life, what are some of the real advantages? And one is it immediately forces you to work with what you have. Um, and there's a, there's a huge advantage to doing that whether you're staying put or not. But I'd like to tell you a little bit of a story here of a time I did that and what I got out of it. So there was a time in my life I wanted a better boat than the boat that I had. I had this little 14-foot John boat, and it was a good starter boat. And uh, I, I wanted another boat, but I knew that financially it was reckless and irresponsible for me to purchase a boat at that time. I was trying to move into my transitional period that actually led to survival podcasts and not work for anybody anymore. We wanted to move. We wanted to sell our home. We wanted to, to be completely independent. And I'm like, you know what? You, you don't have the money to pay cash for the kind of boat you want. And if you buy, like... A boat that's a little bit better, it's not going to really be that much better. You just don't need a new boat right now. And then so one day I went out in the, the garage and I looked at the boat and I said, well, what's wrong with this boat? 
And I went through everything I didn't like about it. And I said, well, if I set a $500 budget, could I fix most of the things I don't like about this boat? Now, it won't be the $15,000 deep V boat that I want it to be. It's not going to be. But would it, would it serve me better? And I have a video on my personal YouTube channel that I haven't posted anything to in years, but I'll put it up today in the show notes if you want to see it, of that project and that boat and what it turned into. And it ended up being an awesome boat for what it was capable of doing. And when we left that house and I put it up for sale at the Texas Fishing Forum, it sold in like 15 minutes. Like I heard from a guy that's like, as long as it is what it looks like it is, I want to buy it. I live in Tyler. It's going to take me several hours to get there. Please don't sell it. I'm coming, I promise. And they showed up, they looked at it, and they handed me cash. So because I accepted that that's what I had and I worked with what I had, I got results I would have never gotten if I kept thinking, well, I'll get a better one someday. Well, when you decide, like, okay, this house, I'm going to live here, if not for the rest of my life, for decades. I'm going to be here a long time. This is going to be a place I make my stand. Then instead of thinking, well, one day I'll be able to really invest in planting trees and plants and stuff like that. Well, see, the thing about trees is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the next best time is right now. I take a long time to grow. You know, and I, I can tell you another story about why this, this makes sense to me. When we bought our first house together, Dorothy and I in Arlington, which that was 1999, 1999, that would be right. So that's 15 years ago. I planted a peach tree and a pecan tree in the front yard. And not too long ago, I was over in that part of Arlington and I drove by there. And that pecan tree is so big around. You, you probably couldn't get your arms around it in a bear hug. You, I guess you could, but you'd, you'd stretch. It's huge. And that peach tree that was a dwarf peach tree has encompassed the whole side of the yard. And it's just this gorgeous peach. And I couldn't see into the backyard, and I wasn't about to get out and knock on the door and say, I used to live here, can I look in the backyard? But in the backyard there was another two trees that I planted, and I, I bet they were doing really, really well. And you look at that and go... If I'm going to see the results of that activity, I have to stay here long enough to see the results. And when you get into that mindset, you start saying, how do I maximize everything here? And instead of maximizing it so that the next person will see value in it and pay for it, you maximize it to the life that you want to live. You know, Dorothy and I realized over the years that we had bought so many homes where we had lived with them pretty much as they were when we bought them with a few minor modifications over the years. And then when it came time to sell them and we wanted to maximize our return, we banged out a few really smart, low-cost ratio-to-the-house-value improvements like carpeting and tiling and stuff like that. And the, the house always looked the best that it ever did the day we listed it for sale. And we didn't have that during the time we were living there. And part of the reason we did, especially young, when we were younger... We had a teenage boy with a bunch of other teenage boys running through the house all the time. They put new carpet in. They're going to tear it up. You put the new carpet in when you sell the house. We know we're going to sell the house someday, so we'll do it then. But when you, when you come out of that mindset, you start saying to yourself, what can I do to make this place really great now? So that's, to me, one of the biggest advantages is you'll never realize the potential of where you live until you decide that where you live is your home. Okay. 
The next thing is, it gives you a stake in the future of your community. Um, you're going to be more locally politically active. And you know, I am a political atheist, right, at the, at the national level. I really am. I, I think it's completely and totally irrelevant at this point. I think that the national level is so controlled by the oligarchy, and until the people of this country are ready to reclaim liberty, there's not much to be done there. But locally, I do get it. I really do. I'm not doing it this year because there's nothing for me to have a say in. There's just nothing here. And, and the reality is where I live, there's not a lot of political activity going on because we're unincorporated. We don't do anything here. We don't pass laws. We don't pass ordinances. We don't screw with anybody. I'll get active when somebody tries to do something to stop it, right? But when you know this is my home, not just this is the house that I own for now, all of a sudden everything that happens politically or community-wise or structurally you start to care about. And you care about it different. It's not, oh, I don't want him to do that because my future property value. You're actually thinking if it puts my future property value down, and I pay less taxes, I'm not necessarily opposed to it. The, 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 the property value argument is about people that want to sell their house someday, not people that want to stay there forever. But when it's something that's going to mess things up or distort things or, or harm a neighbor, you become much more animate about, oh, hell no, this is my home. You don't do this here. And I think if we had more stationary citizens by choice, because we have a whole group of people that do grow up and never move five miles from where they live because they don't ever see the opportunity. They never capitalize on the opportunity. They don't have the opportunity. They feel stuck. They're in a, a modern slum, so to speak, whether it actually is an urban slum or even a rural community that's dying. They just they feel trapped. But I think if more people chose to build active, successful lifestyles where they are, that we'd have a, a, a people that were a lot more likely to fight for liberty. Instead of going, out, ah, whatever. You know? And, and guys, real defeatism, <laughs> real defeatism is when you stop fighting for what's important to you. However you choose to fight is up to you. Not fighting the way somebody else does, which you see as counterproductive and failing, is, is actually tactically intelligent. But when you just go, oh, screw it. It doesn't matter. There's nothing I can do. That's defeatism. When you say, doing more here is irrelevant, so I'm going to go do more here, that's where you start to take control. And I think if people were saying, this is where I belong, then they might say, this is what I shall defend. Maybe there'd be a lot less bug-out mental planning in people's minds. It seems like there's a lot of people in the prepper movement, the whole bug-out thing seems like something they really want to do, they just can't figure out how. So the shit hitting the fan will be the excuse necessary. That giant political destruction, global destruction that you're waiting on, guys, it's probably not coming that way ever. And if you can't make it elsewhere now, you can't make it elsewhere then either. Don't live in that fantasy land. If where you're not, where you're at is not where you really want to be, find the place you really want to be and grow there, develop there. I also think it leads to a longer life. A longer, healthier life. People that don't go a lot of places uh, throughout their entire life tend to live longer, statistically. In fact, let me tell you a little story from one of Jeff Lawton's permaculture design courses he taught. It's in the, the DVD set he did with Bill several years ago. 
And a student said something about longevity. He said, well, let's get stuck into that right now then, and let's just discuss that. He goes, if you want the secret to, to long life, don't go anywhere. Don't go, just stay where you are, put in a garden or a farm, start growing your own food, and eat the food that's grown where you live. Get bit by the bugs that live where you live. Be surrounded by the people that live where you live. And you'll live a long life. And he said, you know, probably to my own detriment, I've traveled all over the world, but I know where I've seen people that live longer and healthier lives. And everywhere I find that, those people stay and grow where they are. They breathe the air that's the same every day. They're exposed to things that we consider contaminants, but they develop immunity. They eat the food from their local area, so they get the nutrients that's necessary for life in their area. That There are these coexistent, beneficial evolutions that organisms go through. And if we co-evolve with our environment, then we're best suited to survive in that environment. So I think if nothing else, I think you can live a longer, healthier life by finding a place to stay. I think emotionally, there's a component there too. Instead of a constant restlessness of what's next, the acceptance of the beauty of what is is very good for us emotionally and spiritually, however you take spiritually to mean for yourself. I, and I think it does provide a sense of peace. You know, I, I think of times in my life where back when I was a young guy and I was dating and I would be with a girl somewhere and we'd go do something kind of cool And the time I knew when I would know, okay, I need to end this relationship and move on, it'd be when I would be sitting there thinking, this is really great. I wish somebody else was with me. And see, as long as you feel that way, that relationship is not going to evolve. So either you're not seeing the other person for who they are in your life, and you maybe need to reevaluate that, and maybe you can build that relationship, or it's just simply the two of you are not meant for each other. And then when I met Dorothy, that changed. And, and when I knew that changed is when I would sit with her at some place cool and go, there's nobody I'd rather be with than her right now here. And then that relationship can become a marriage and a lifelong commitment to each other. Well, if that works with people, it works with places. If, if, if all you can think of where you live is, I can't wait till we live somewhere else, then that sense of peace never arrives and all of the beautiful things that can exist with that relationship between you and that place never happen. So maybe it is time to move on. But the next time we move on, we should be thinking about that long-term relationship with a property. I'm just saying. Um, I also think it leads to real financial stability and wealth. First of all, moving is expensive. We made money on every house that we ever owned We made a profit when we sold it. We put that profit into the next place. We got a bigger house. We still got a bigger bill. And we still got a bigger debt. And we still went from you know five years of payment to now having a 25-year debt back to a 30-year debt. And it's easy to do that when you move all the time because you don't care. As long as you buy smart, think smart, design smart, sell smart... You don't care that I have a 30-year debt because I'm only going to pay on it for two or three years. And then I'm going to sell this to somebody else. I'm going to take profit out of it. I'm going to go do this again. And it does work. We're living proof that it works. And the smarter and more strategic and tactical you are with the purchase and the, uh, the ownership ritual that you have with your home, 
what you improve, when you improve it, how you improve it, and how you market it when you sell it, the more it works. But as long as you're thinking that way, you're gaming a financial system rather than true investment into your future. When you stop and say, okay, now this is where we're going to be, now we get a lot more strategic with our money for ourselves versus for the next time we flip a property. And if flipping property is really what you want to do, then find a place to live and flip other, other properties. There's, there's, there's money in that too. It's harder because you have to flip it in a shorter time cycle. The, 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 the reason this mobility works for people with housing is because I have to live somewhere anyway, and I'm going to have a cost of living for that duration of time anyway. So if I'm in this house for three years, during that three-year period of time, I can figure out exactly what I would do to make the house marketable. I can initiate that in the end game, and I can flip the house. And I'm really out nothing as far as the cost because I had to live somewhere anyway. So you can have this income source, but it never atrophies the debt to the point that the debt becomes inconsequential. And, and what I mean by that, again, is you know my father-in-law with a $269 house payment. I, 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 I just think, what if I had a $269 house payment? I think, well, that's a little more than $14,000 a year I'd keep. And you can't go out and get the $269 house payment today with a, a, a sizable home. I mean, you do it with like a tiny cabin or something like that. But, you know, it's, it, it's difficult to, to try to do that today. But the, the, the $1,300 house payment of today, 20 years from now, scary as that is, will be a lot like the $300 house payment today. That's the plan for the money. That's how it works. That really is how it works. That is the Fed's plan of inflationary economics. Well, the stability that comes from owning and paying the debt on a property, especially as, as you become more financially successful, instead of moving up, you simply compound the payments against the property. All of a sudden, you take the 20, the 30 year mortgage and turn it into a 20 year mortgage to a 15 year mortgage. Also, one day you don't have a payment at all except for your taxes. And I'm going to back up for a second. Taxation is something you really have to think about when you start thinking about this long-term anchoring down. I know people that tell me right now, Jack, I, I think we need to move, and we don't want to. But the reason we need to move is when we moved here, taxes were $2,000 a year, and now they're nine. And that was 10 years. And where will they be in another 10 years? And we'll be able, even able to sell this place. And municipalities are destroying themselves by constantly jacking up tax on property. They really are. It's a short-term gain, but it's a, you're mining your community when you do that. And sooner or later, it bites you in the ass, and your most productive people leave. And sooner or later, you see things happen. Like, I remember when I first moved back here to Texas, there was no way I was going to live in Dallas school districts. One of the worst school districts in the state, and one of the most expensive to live in at the same time. Unbelievable. And there was a letter in the newspaper, like a letter to the editor type thing, and it basically was a letter to the Dallas uh, city of Dallas. And it said, my house now sits empty. You'll get no property taxes for it. I'm leaving. I've abandoned my mortgage. I don't give a shit. Eat it. And it was, it was a little bit more politically correct than that, but it basically that's what it said. They said, you have taxed me out of my ability to stay in my own home. 
I've walked the mortgage more for the taxes than the mortgage. Suck on it and get nothing. And sooner or later, that's what happens. And so when you're looking for a place to really put down roots, it's not just the taxation today, but what is the potential for higher taxes tomorrow? This is why I like unincorporated areas. The only beast you're feeding here is Tarrant County. That's it. We're not feeding the city of Lake. I, I cannot imagine what the difference in a tax bill is between here and five miles down the road in the city of Lakeside where they have 13 cops and 1,200 people. I cannot imagine what the tax bill difference is. I bet you it's three times as much. And I bet that that delta will actually grow over time. We basically need to pay for road maintenance and a sheriff deputy or two to drive around once in a while. That's it. And that strategic thought process has to be part if you're really going to be there long term and enjoy the financial stability. And something to really look for especially if you're getting to this later in life and you're in your 50s already or in your early 60s. There are places, and this is something working for my father-in-law right now, where they say senior citizens should never end up losing their home over taxation. They just shouldn't. I don't think anybody should, but this is what some municipalities have realized. Like This is just, this is just wrong. A person that's lived in their house for 25, 30 years or whatever, and they've been banking on being able to stay there and living on their Social Security and their retirement should not be ever forced out of their home. So they pass local legislation that basically says it's 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 like a, a tax freeze. So the day that that head of household turns 65, whatever their taxes are, are locked. I wish that was the case for everybody, honestly. But in strategic planning, you work with what is. That's something to look into. And if I was, you know, 10 years away from senior citizenship and I had two homes that were almost equal and one was just a little bit better than the other for a few things, but the other one locked my taxes and was still good enough on all accounts, I'd probably go with the one that would lock my taxes. Because, at, at, you know, say you're going to live to be 85. Well, that's 30 years past 65. What did I say? 85 is 20 years past 65. I just gave you an extra decade in there. Anyway, that's 20 years. What can they do to your taxes in 20 years while you're older and retired and can't just work for more money? That's something really to look at. But I, I do think it leads to a lot of financial stability. I think if you if you do this, though, it allows you to find acceptance in the great things of your life. Instead of always looking for something better, you enjoy what is. And you make the most of what is. I think that's probably the biggest reason. Um, you know, back to my dating analogy. You know, when I would be somewhere with a person I was dating before I met Dorothy, not only did I not have the potential to really make the most of that relationship, because something in you knows this is not who I want to be with for the rest of my life. This is fun for now, but yeah, it's got to go. You actually never make the most of the situation itself. Because if you're thinking, boy, being in this place would be great with somebody else, you're not really enjoying the full potential of the place. So if you, if you take that analogy then over into your regular life, you never really enjoy a place when you know you'll be leaving. You try not to get attached if you know you'll be leaving. But you let yourself become attached. You actually encourage attachment when you know it's where you're going to stay.
And I will say at this point, though, it's a little daunting for people when they've lived a life similar to what I've lived, where you've always known, I can get something more, I can get something better, I can move on, I can do this, I can do that. That is hard to give up. And what I want to th finish with my final thoughts today is, you shouldn't commit to a mistake. In spite of everything I've said to you in the case I've made for this today, if you ever find yourself living somewhere and just realize this is a disaster, this is not what we want, then you should find another place. You really should. And I think many of you should be looking for that final place now in, in opposition to tyranny. Many of you live in places where your local and state governments have crapped on you. And at some point you should say, you know what, you've done it for the last time. I'm not taking this anymore. I'm loading my shit up, I'm making some new friends, I'm finding a new job, I'm finding a new home. And I'm going to go build a future for my family somewhere else. And I, I, I think if you live in New York or New Jersey or Illinois, Connecticut, Delaware... Man, those places have just forgotten everything that there is about liberty. There's just, there's almost no, 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 nothing left in some of those places. And I know those of you in New York, like, I'm from upstate New York and we're rural and we're, yeah, but the people running your state all live in that little five boroughs area and they're taking their politics and saddling you with them. Unless you're going to secede. You know, create northern New York or northwestern New York or something. You're not going to change it anytime soon. And there's other places where you could lend what you what your talents are to. So at the same time, I'm telling you to put down roots. I'm also saying, if you're really in a place where your your rights and your property and your family and everything important that we talked about today isn't respected, maybe it is time to find another place. But in finding that place, try to be strategic. Do what it takes to find the right place that you really want to be because the rewards are many. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
revolution is you.